Paul, where are you, buddy? Where is he? He's with kids? There we go. Paul and Tyler are going to land us in the second part of chapter 4, which means I'm doing chapter 5 tonight. And you'll see why in a moment. There is a logistical reason, because next Sunday I'll be in London. Um, Longer story, but the churches that we work with in London and Wales, um, I'm going to go and spend a week with them. So, um, but Paul and Tyler are going to land us in 1 Peter, and we will be done with an incredible letter from an incredible father whose father heart just leaks out of every verse and every passage. So I want you to get your Bibles, please. I'm going to almost land us with 1 Peter chapter 5. I am reading from the NIV, and um, it just reads a little easier. It's not necessarily more accurate, Um, but here we go. 1 Peter chapter 5, and... I read, to the elders among you, plural word, word that's foreign to the younger palate in America. I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Paul never, the apostle, never ever referred to himself as an elder. Peter did. A witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. I described that briefly. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must. We don't do this because we must. We do this because we are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men. I want to add, woman, if I can. In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time, which by implication is you are not lifted up. Right now, cast all your anxiety, millennials, Gen Zs, cast all your, I mean, everyone knows boomers and Gen X aren't anxious. Not true, my love. As a therapist, are you challenging my superior knowledge? (laughs) Everyone knows boomers and Gen Xs do not or are not anxious. Yes, we are. Cast all your anxiety in him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard, regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, and we know Babylon refers to Rome, it's, it's a metaphor for chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark, or John Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. 
Peace to all of you who are in Christ. What an incredible passage. What a way land, an incredible letter written by a father. Harry, good to see you back, buddy. Sorry I didn't greet you earlier. Harry is one of the main men here. Well, well, he will become one of the main men here. And he's been the YWAM in Mexico for six months, nine months. My, how time flies when you're having fun. Welcome. Is it welcome back or is it hi, bye? Okay. Well, welcome back. Just, just, everyone heard? Everyone, it, Sam, do I have a witness? Okay. Now, this seems to be a collage of unique verses, doesn't it? It just seems bits and pieces. Do, do they connect anyway? Is there any thread or continuity? Or is this just an old guy walking, pacing up and down, wanting to write a letter to a bunch of churches that are taking a pounding, and now he is writing to them, and he's just like, oh, oh Silas, um, don't forget to say this. Is that what's happening? Or is there somehow a deeper sense of divine agenda in all of this. I think there is. I hope I'm right. Last week, we identified a little phrase as being key to understanding 1 Peter 4, and the phrase was? Thank you. Do you go to Biola? You should if you don't go there. (laughs) It is arm yourselves. I am tired. I've been teaching a lot at our leadership retreat. Um, So it it is arm yourselves. And my point, my thesis last week is that this is like a piece of classical music that's coming to a crescendo. It's Peter writing, and and he's building up, and he's bringing the instruments in one at a time as he starts off with with I, Peter, an apostle, but, but he's building up towards some high value and some beautiful high truths that are essential to us where we are right now. And the reason why I was happy, not just logistically, but theologically, to bring 1 Peter 5 and 1 Peter 4 together is because I think he sustains the same sense of militarism, hence my jacket, my Zach jacket. (laughs) Chapter 4 speaks about arm yourself. It's a great military phrase of combat obligation. But he continues with that, and we've read it, 1 Peter 5.8, be alert. Now, I asked last week, and no one had been in the military. My guess is that would be fairly true even this evening. But I remember being on patrol in Angola during the Bush War. And I remember a command coming by radio from the top saying, as you go into your temporary base tonight, so what you do as a platoon is you lie in a circle all of you on your guns, your, your, your automatic weapons, you lie on your sleeping bags, you go into the temporary base just before the sun sets. Because sunset is normally, or oftentimes, a time when there's an attack. And you lie ready, connected to the buddy-buddy like this. And we got the command more than a few times, we need you to be on high alert, we believe there's high terrorist activity in the area. Now, how many of you know your heart's pounding? This is not cool. This is on edge. I remember one night, the guy at 6 o'clock, the bottom end of the, of the platoon, got skittish, and he had a heavy machine gun, 
and he started shooting. And that was just the trigger for all of us. We started shooting. And I just thought, my goodness, there isn't a tree in living distance that's going to withstand the sustained bombardment. That same language, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Let's just have a little theological debate. No, no, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand against him. Be on your state of readiness, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Now, I understand, dear friends, that for many of you, the language of warfare or military or conflict is incredibly foreign. For some of you who may even be soft um, uh, pacifists, it may be quite offensive language. I understand that. But it doesn't detract from the fact that it's in the text, and it probably is a good idea for us to learn it and understand that we have an enemy. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project calls, it, calls him the Satan. I like that. It sounds kind of very French-ish. You know, not Satan, just like blah. It's the Satan. But, but, but he's warning us that we have an enemy who is the devil, and he is prowling around. I remember watching, what was that show, that survival show, uh, survival, Naked and Survival or something? Naked and Afraid, yeah. And of course, you don't see anything, so don't get all nervous. Um, but, but there were two New Zealand girls in South Africa, and they went into a temporary base for the night, and of course, the cameras are going, and I watched a leopard pace. And I thought, do they really know Leopards are some of the most incredible killers in Africa because they are the silent assassin. You can't hear them, you won't see them, and then you're dead. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, even though this idea of a spiritual combat is different for some of you. It may be because you're a new Jesus follower. It may be because you're an unbeliever, a believer rather, who comes from a seeker-friendly church. Well, we don't talk about these things because it's not cool. It's like, whoa, this is too awkward. Let's talk about something else that's funner. Or you might be in a Jesus apprentice who has never just engaged in conversations of this kind. Let me run through Scripture with you for just a moment. In Genesis Chapter 3, a snake sidles up to Adam and Eve. Was it a literal snake? We don't know. We know there's a lot of metaphor in the text. It may be, it may not have been. That's not an issue to me. What is an issue to me is that the enemy does what? He whispers, you can become just like God. What is his tactic? It's not an aggressive, in-your-face, it's a little slither and a whisper. Hmm, did God really say, oh, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, maybe he didn't really say that. To Cain, chapter 4 of Genesis, the two brothers are born, and then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? The devil is prowling around to see whom he may devour, and some of the greatest ecology or soil in which he operates, is in our emotions. 
Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, here it comes again, is crouching, prowling, crouching, prowling, crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. You can change the language. Spiritual warfare is not a Bible phrase. But boy, is it here. David, the king prophet and songwriter, 1 Chronicles 21. I read, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab, who was his commander, he said, listen, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Well, it's just a reasonable request, isn't it? Satan is like a roaring lion looking to see whom he can devour. What is he doing to David here? David, let me tell you, buddy. You have got an incredible army. You don't really need God. You're good. You are good. So David says, you know, you're right. I'm going to check and see how many soldiers I have. So he says to Joab, go and count the Israelites, then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. Joab says, my Lord, may God multiply his troops a hundred times over, but my Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord want to do this? It feels like a Shakespearean play. Why should he bring guilt on Israel? But the Lord's word, however, overruled Joab. Do you understand, dear friends, there's a little something in there that's knocking on our, the, the, the door of our hearts. We all have blind spots. How do I know if there's a leopard behind me? There's a youth pastor in a church we work with in Mauritius. His name is Cedric. Cedric was a professional surfer, the number one surfer in Mauritius. He decided to withdraw from the surfing well, and so he decided, what will I do? So he thought, well, the obvious thing is you, you train lions. I mean, isn't that what everyone does? They go and train lions? Well, they did it buddy-buddy. And a moment came, an agitated female, as the two of them were not covering each other's backs, they both looked elsewhere, the female hit him and grabbed him. Fortunately, she was an adolescent, and fortunately, they can get her off him. And Cedric spent nine months in hospital, something like that. See, this text, Joab turns to David and says, David, please, sir, my, my Lord, this army is yours. Please, sir. And he says, oh, no, 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 I want you to count how many men we have. Do you understand what's going on here? All of us have blind spots. All of us have parts of us that we can't see. And all of us need a Joab who is sitting on our shoulder who will be honest and courageous enough to say, my, my Lord, please, don't do this. God can be trusted. We don't, know, we don't need to know how many soldiers we have. Jesus, Luke chapter 4, running our way through the text briefly. We know that in that moment is that he has fasted for 40 days. Jesus is vulnerable. He's exhausted. He's empty. We know that. Who comes a-knocking? The devil is like a roaring lion looking to see whom he can devour. So it's in our emotion, we read from the text, that we are vulnerable. It is in our sense of, can I trust God or have I done a good job? 
I don't need someone to cover my blind spot. I can just do this alone. And, the, and, and Satan comes to him and he says, hmm, do you think you can trust God, really? Can you really trust the Father's provision? Why don't you turn these rocks into some bread? What's the conversation? Are you sure you can trust your Heavenly Father? He comes back a second time and he says, can you trust the Father's power? And he does it again. Can you trust the Father's protection? Well, he'll catch you. Just jump off here. He'll catch you. And then the verse that grabs me in the light of our conversation, when the devil has finished all this tempting, he left him for an opportune time. My dear friends, when is your opportune time? Is it when the emotions are skyrocketing? Is it when you're feeling fragile, hungry, not sleeping well? Maybe you've got kids, the one of you who has here. But you know, what is it? When are you vulnerable? The enemy says that's the opportune time, and that's, dear friends, when we are not alone. Ephesians 6.12, Paul, the great apostle, says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So much energy is expended at a human level when this conflict, as Ken Eric so wonderfully said, is spiritual. I know it's hard to our Western, sophisticated, educated mind to think there is right now, right here, an invisible but real world. Remember the prophet when his servant came and said, Oh, my word, look at all the enemy. And he just says, oh God, please just show him the angels. Honestly, I, I can't cope with him right now. And his eyes are open and he sees the angelic hosts right there. The angel's here right now. Right here. Whether you believe in a guardian angel or not doesn't really matter at this moment in time. There are angels right here, right now, doing battle on our behalf. So, what are the areas where the enemy finds your underbelly? Where does he come? He waits for an opportune time because it's in that moment he gets you. He's happy to wait. He's been around thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And he just watches and he waits with his cohorts around him. And is it the Cain moment when you're angry? Is it the David moment when you're strutting your stuff? I, I got this. I, I got this. I don't need God. I've got an army around me. Is it the Jesus time when you're physically weary, working hard, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, not sleeping great, having a little something, something to put yourself to sleep, and the enemy says, I'm waiting, I'm watching. Let's go. Now, in this text, I want to suggest, and, and, and I hope I'm right here, but I want to suggest that there are five little descriptions that weave together, the devil is like a roaring lion looking to see whom he will devour. And the first conversation here in this text is, you elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will also share in his glory, be shepherds over God's flock. It's very offensive to think of ourselves as sheepies, isn't it? It's very, because we're not, we're cool. We're strong, we're capable, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you are like lambs. 
A friend of ours has a larger property in Temecula. What are those dogs they have, my love? Big, beautiful Turkish dogs. Big, Because they're, they're sheep. They brought in some sheep from uh, South Africa, actually. And the coyotes were hitting them. And so they found out about these beautiful big dogs. They, they hunt together. They sleep during the day, exquisite dogs. But at night, they automatically patrol. Obviously, they've been developed for such a time as that. And they kill the coyotes and others who want to come in and grab the sheep. That's the picture here. This is not a picture of ruling the roost. This is God saying, I have created for myself shepherds in a congregation who take care of the sheep, who watch out for them. Now, let me speak as a dad for a moment. When God spoke to us about planting this community, He asked me a number of questions, but one of them was this. Can I trust you with the young girls? Now, I don't think that meant would you fall morally. I mean, I'm as vulnerable as anyone else. But, but I don't feel like that's what he said to me. I feel like he said, I will send you young girls into the church. Will you protect them? I'm going to send you little lambs who may have had a broken home upbringing, who may not have a dad who's looking after them, caring for them, defending them, fighting for them. It, it may just be that leaving home for the first time with all the uncertainty that that brings, and it does, I've sat with many of you, is there someone who will protect me? I said, we'll do it. And we do. First church we led in South Africa from 1983 to 1996. I was 24, Meryl was 21. And we had, by the time we handed over, we had a thousand 20-somethings, 20-30-somethings in the church. And I said to the elders with me, I said, you know our response. Hey, listen, Durban's a beach city. We had stunning girls in the church. And I said, brothers, our responsibility is to look after these girls and sniff out any wolf who comes because of them. And I remember one young guy, probably 38 or so, if my memory serves me right, started coming around the church. And one of the elders said, man, I don't know, he's always chatting to the pretty girls. I said, Ash, Ash was one of our big elders, rugby player, surfer. I said, Ash, mark him. Mark him. Go and tell him we're watching him. And Ash did. He said, buddy, we're so glad you're here. But you see all these beautiful girls, it's our job to protect them. We think you are here because of them. We're watching you. He was furious, but left the church. And we protected the single girls. If he didn't have that in his heart, I'm pretty sure he would have said, you know what, sorry you guys feel it, but it's not true. I really want to encounter Jesus. In 14 years, with hundreds and into the thousands of beautiful young girls, we had two who became pregnant out of wedlock, and both had left the church when they became pregnant. Two in 14 years, because God gives shepherds to take care of the vulnerability of the sheep. We're not the top of the pile. We're not the kind of mini popes. We are walking around watching, caring, loving, serving, making sure that people are looked after. Do we do that perfectly? Sadly, not. But I want you to know, and I, this is my promise to the parents. Many of your parents came, come here. 
and uh, comes to check us out. I know that. Chris, are you here? Chris and Wendy? Are you guys at the back? Chris, you're here. Just stand for a moment. So, he's, he's now one of my best friends. He wasn't when uh, his daughters, Haley, Maddie, and where's Haley? Okay, so there the two sisters are. So we're meeting in our home, and we've got about 40 predominantly Vanguard, but Vanguard and Biola students coming. So one, and we eat together all the time. So one day in walks Chris and Wendy. How many of you know they were conspicuous? They were like, okay, so you're not a Vanguard student, I'm guessing, right now. And he, and I'm saying it a bit more dramatically, but cornered me, and who are you? Of course he wants to find out. So, so what are you going to do with my daughters? Of course he wants to know, because the sheep are vulnerable. Now they moved from Rancho Cucamonga. They live down here. They are leaders in the church. Chris is one of the fathers in this community who sits at the back, not because he's bored and disengaged sometimes, <laughs> but not tonight, but because he's watching, 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 watching. See, what this text offers us is this great moment that we're not unaware of the devil's devices. The devil walks around like a roaring lion looking to see whom he can devour. And here, he is walking around like a roaring lion to see whom he can devour. Are you with me? Let me just say one more thing. Some of you have come from megachurch um, backgrounds. Uh, what am I talking about, love? Um, YWAM, circuit riders, parachurch organizations. And, and I understand it's very exciting and it's a buzz and you're running off here, there, and everywhere. But God gives shepherds for vulnerable sheep. I, 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 last Sunday night, there was about two, tw 12 young guys and girls who kind of cornered me. We had a great conversation for about an hour. And the one guy said to me, he said to me, uh, a beautiful brother from New York, he had to go back. He'd only been here for a month. And he said, Chris, what should I do? I said, go and find a community. Go and get involved in a community. And it's not just because they're cool people in friendship. It's because you are the vulnerable sheepy is placed in a paddock where there are shepherds patrolling to make sure the wolf doesn't come in. Are you with me? Yeah. Folks, I think I have a tender heart. I hope so. But I am very protected protective about the fragile and the vulnerable in this community. I will roar like a lion without apology. I'm not here to win a popularity context. I'm here to protect you as vulnerable sheep from this. Number two, the anxiety of the young. Not just the vulnerability of the sheep, the anxiety of the young. It says they cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Whew. That's a big verse, isn't it? Because we all live with a low-grade or a higher-grade anxiety. And, and, and Peter gives us an option. He says, in community, God can take your anxiety away. It just requires some vulnerability. It requires some transparency. But that is the beauty of Christ at work in His local church. There was a kid who grew up in our South African church. He used to sit at his mum's feet. He used to eat his snacks. That's kind of what we did Sunday nights. We never had children's ministry. The kids were always in. 
playing, when we love children dancing in worship or being in worship with us. I love seeing kids watch mom and dad worship. Not like, okay, where do we sign on? Dang, we want to get rid of these kids. Where do we sign in? No, no, no. We want the kids here. We want them like little Levi walking past you, giving Meryl a knuckle this evening. We want that. We want this to be a cool space. My girls used to say, oh, Dad, no church tonight. I mean, like what's happening with life? Life is so boring because it's Tuesday night. And we haven't got church to go to because it was such a fun place to be. And Joe grew up, like all of the others, at his mom's feet, on a blanket, having his snacks, learning to listen. And fast forward many years, I visit the church in Toronto, Canada, which we've planted. And Joe appears out the crowd. He's 22. He's a snowboarder. He is a, a videographer for uh, Amazing Race, traveling the world, incredible stories of filming the Amazing Race. And he walks out the crowd, and he walks straight up to me, and he just puts his arm around me and starts weeping. I said, Joe, you okay? You okay? He said, Chris, I, I grew up sitting at my mom's feet listening to you preach. He said, I can remember your messages. And he said, moving to Canada has been incredibly hard for me. I'm anxious. I'm uncertain. I, I don't know what's happening. He said, but I heard the voice that I heard as a kid. This is what he said to me. I knew it was going to be okay. That's what community does, and that's how anxiety starts drifting in true Bible community. Three, let me move quickly. The loneliness in the social media age. Not just the vulnerability of sheep and the anxiety of the young, and I'm rushing because I don't want to bore you, but there's a loneliness. You know that. I know that in the social media age. When I read this part, he says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. Here is this connection. Silas to these people. John Le Le uh, Legend sings about your perfect imperfections. It's a cool little line, but it's actually a beautiful line because community, the community of the king is perfect in her imperfections perfections, please don't walk away from Christian community so quickly. She is perfect in her imperfections. When we were away this weekend at the leaders' time, we do a thing called green, yellow, red. So green is what we love about the church. We, we debriefed the two years, COVID, and what's happened. And it was beautiful getting all the cool stories and everything God did. And then we do the yellow. That was okay. You know, we can improve on it. It wasn't great, but it was okay. And then the third is red, like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. And honestly, we were pretty dang proud of ourselves that we survived COVID as a young community. And then Caton spoiled it for us. I just want to call him out. He spoiled it for us. And you know why he did? Because he was so dang honest and so dang right. He said, you know what? He said, there was a young couple with a name like mine, who left because no one talked to them. No one engaged them. And for me, as a father in the community, my heart broke. I thought, oh God, we are perfect in our imperfections. How can we miss a beautiful couple who are looking for community 
and we just look straight past them. It's not good, is it? There is a loneliness in the social media age that tends to drive us to the likes on Instagram, although I believe they're taking that away, and Facebook and whatever the case may be. Can I ask us, in the light of this, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking to see whom he may devour. Please don't run from community, no matter how painful it might be. This is God's gift. This is His bride. This is a place where vulnerability and anxiety can be dealt with in the reality of it. Get to know me, and you probably won't like some parts. You definitely won't like some parts of me. But God's knitted us into community. And the parts you don't like about me, you probably can do a whole lot better. I am dreadful at names. My mother, just so that you get my family of origin, when she speaks about any of her grandkids, you remember those old days with the telephone? There was, what do you call those things? You scroll the names? Rolodex. So she literally says, now Chris, how is um, 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 Shay, Donnie? And she goes down all the list of her grandkids until she gets to Tian. I want to say, Mom, surely you can remember your grandson who's American born. But she goes through the Rolodex. Well, what chance do I have? So I am preaching full flight, speaking at the leadership time away, people I love and trust and journey with, and I don't know how many times I called someone by a wrong name. Super embarrassing. It's, it's like really awkward. But we are perfect in our imperfection. Don't run from community because it's that place where you are safe from the prowling lion seeking whom he can devour. Because remember, there is an opportunity. Look at these guys too. Remember, there is that opportune time when by yourself you will be vulnerable. May not be tonight, not tomorrow, not the day afterwards, not next month, but there will be that time. I got this. I don't, I don't, I don't need this. There will be that time, 11 o'clock at night, that you flip your computer open. No one knows. And he says, thank you. I've got you. Lastly, this is a beautiful one. I'm going to leave one out because I don't want to bore you. Last one, this is a beautiful one. It's the hopelessness of purposelessness. So you know my mind was tied when I prepared this. He says this. He says, she who is in Babylon or Rome... Chosen together with you sends her greetings, and so does my son, Mark. So, so Chris, what does that mean? It's nothing. Mark sends their love. No, 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 no. No, no. This is the most beautiful climactic moment in the story. Acts 12, 12. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house. This is Peter. Went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. He grew up in this incredible home where they prayed up a storm. PK if you want. I mean, he is situated for a life of Jesus-loving, community-building, and kingdom-advancing. It gets better. Acts 12, 25. When Barnabas and Saul, the two emerging apostles, had finished their message, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. 
Let me pick on Ben just because I like picking on him. Can you imagine? Barnabas and Saul are in this church. They're about to go on a major apostolic journey, taking the gospel, signs, wonders, miracles around Asia Minor. And they look around the room and say, Ben, will you come with us? And he's like, dang, Caitlin, you see that? Moi? Moi? I am the guy. Now, he wouldn't say that he'd have that sort of semi-serious face. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. But inside, he's leaping and bounding and so grateful, and he is the guy. Oh, the story hasn't finished. Acts 15, 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul said, I do not think it wise to take him because he deserted us in Pamphylia. The kid who grew up, in, grew up in a praying home, the kid who was invited in to travel with the apostles and go and minister, deserted them in Pamphylia and did not continue with them in the work. He fell off the wagon. So what happened? Why, why is this a helpful moment? Well, we pick up the story in 2 Timothy 4.11, and Paul writes, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark or John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a beautiful story of gospel reassignment. He grew up in the home where prayer was current. He walked with these two great apostles, traveling the globe with him. Somewhere along the line, he grew discouraged, he grew weary, he got distracted, he wanted to go after chicks and bucks and stuff. Forgive my boomer explanation. And he deserts them in Pamphylia. And I'm sure in a moment of soberness, he just says, I have blown it, I have blown it, I have blown it. What can come of me? And this beautiful moment where Peter says, remember who Peter was? He was the one who denied Jesus, and now he has a beach with Jesus moment with John Mark. He says, John Mark's with me. He sends his love. In fact, it says there, uh, my son. And, and, and we know that probably the gospel of Mark, the second Jesus story in the scriptures, was written by the man who deserted them. Isn't that exquisite grace? Oops. Sorry, Tyler, I've just done something really extraordinary. Are you with me? Yeah. I don't know. This is something of profound redemption. I know that some of you struggle. You think, oh, Chris, could God ever use me? I mean, everything was so promising and so exciting and, and so amazing. And, and look at what God was going to do. And then the cares of this world, the curiosity with the world of licentious living, money, career, all those distractions leaned in on John Mark and he deserted them. Is that the end of the story? No. The end of the story is grace. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 12. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, that you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong and make you firm and make you steadfast. We were on a Zoom call. I'm landing. We were on a Zoom call with John Tyson this week. John, as you know, is an Australian leading a pretty influential church in New York. And uh, the team that works into the nations, the collective, I invited him on to speak to us about apostolic preaching 
in the secular age. It was a beautiful time. A little short, but a beautiful time. But John said two things that have bearing here. He said, I have a one and a half year turnover with my congregation. Every year and a half, I have a new church because people leave New York. He said, I find that so hard. And he said, in fact, it's so hard that times I have to walk into the middle of Times Square and I have to say, having done all, I stand. I don't have a long-term leadership team because they rotate out. I don't have a long-term congregation because they rotate out. And there are times I get so discouraged. And the enemy is like a roaring lion, John Tyson, prowling around, looking to see when he can devour you. In that moment of emotional despair and discouragement, John stands in Times Square and he says, Having done all, I stand. The promise of grace. The promise of John Mark who deserted them in Pamphylia was this. The God of grace will restore you and make you strong and make you firm and make you steadfast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the landing piece in this exquisite letter from a father. I've got three kids, as you know. And I know that there are times with each one of them I've had to figuratively, sometimes physically, other times, take them in the palm, my, my, the palm of my hands and say to them, Jesus will make you strong. Jesus will make you firm. Jesus will make you steadfast. Why? Because the enemy is like a, pro- a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. Where are you tonight? Ty, can you join us? I don't know if we'll sing much or how we'll land. But I need to ask you, please, is this just the talk that ends a book that could be fun? Or is it a moment that's prophetically significant, that's answering some of your questions, that speaks into where you are at this place tonight, and you are here tonight? And maybe something I've said in my own weariness has been helpful, that's grabbed your attention and said, Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. I've explained away my blind spots. Young men, young woman, be very careful, he said. Submit yourself. Don't strut in rebellion and self-opinion. And I don't need anyone else. I got me. He says, oh, no, no, no. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Because God has created a way where your blind spots can be taken account by people who love you and care for you. This is a beautiful book with some beautiful truths that have bearing on you and me tonight. Would you close your eyes with me, please?